Radio Mano Papachango. What's up, Chris? What's up, everybody? Nick here in Italy on the Ligurian coast, northwest coast of Italy, sitting in my wife's family's grove of olive trees, watching the sunset. And I've had a few strange days here. I've been working with a, working with a gardener, and we work in these... Um, really nice villas for people who have second homes here on the coast by the sea by the Mediterranean and they come from the cities and spend a few months out of the year living in these these big beautiful homes with pools and views of the sea and and uh, sometimes I watch my boss uh, kind of get, getting a hard time from these people they're they're kind of telling him what to do like oh like cut this plant oh make that one grow better like this one's too dry this one's got too much water i'll move this plant there and and they're all ornamental plants you can't eat any of them and 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 they don't you know these folks don't put their hands in the earth and there's just this kind of strange like disconnection um from the place i've been noticing and this like an like an angst that comes with that and and then I got this audio message from my buddy in Thailand, and he's telling me about his his girlfriend's family in Thailand. And and when his girlfriend was young, her dad cut down a tree and built their house, and and has been growing garlic and carrots and other vegetables to support the family all his life. It's just crazy these different levels of. Uh, connection and disconnection and here I am just somewhere in the middle peace everybody love you thank you Nick somewhere in the middle Nick out there in the middle I think we're all somewhere in the middle in the middle of what is the question what the fuck are we in the middle of people yeah it's it's interesting uh what Nick was sort of getting at there I think is this yearning that people have for connection with the earth and uh but you have to get dirty to have a connection with the earth because the earth is dirt isn't it funny that dirty is bad (laughs) right (laughs) dirty dirty is bad dirty mind Dirty thoughts, dirty, dirty girl, dirty fingers, dirty fingernails, dirty feet. When dirt is earth, dirt is the planet, dirt is where all life comes from and all life returns to ashes to ashes, dust to dust, dirt to dirt. Yeah, and yet dirt is bad. I don't know. 
very strange species, this Homo sapiens. Uh, very strange moment in the life of this very strange species. I mean, I think about that all the time. Christianity, virgin birth. Really? Really? It has to be a virgin birth? There couldn't have been any fucking going on because fucking is so bad that Jesus could have no connection whatsoever to fucking? His mother has to be a virgin? Oh, please. Also, he's the son of God. So God fucked Mary or does God have a dick? I don't know. This is all very, very confusing. But dirt. Um, Yeah. So people want to have a connection with dirt. They need to have a connection with dirt. They need to put their hands in the fucking ground. They need to bring life from soil. And yet they don't want to get their hands dirty. So they hire someone else to do it. And they treat them like dirt. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, listen, I'm coming to you from just outside Scarlett Johansson. I've got my feet up on her. Uh, I'm sitting in a camping chair. I'm near, uh, I'm at Lake Crescent, which is a little south of Bend, Oregon. Came over here to visit some friends for a couple days, and from here we are headed east uh, toward, uh, we're going to meet some other friends uh, at uh, McCall, Idaho, and then um, up to Montana from there. We'll be in Whitefish and uh, maybe Bozeman and uh, see some people up there, and then back down to the sawtooth range up around stanley idaho for uh, a few weeks and then that'll be pretty much the end of our summer van trip this year and then uh, hoping to go to spain in late august and spend uh, september and october in europe so uh, the road trip will continue but not in the van at that point This episode is with a guy named Joe Yannetti, um, who Roger Nygaard uh, suggested I might want to chat with. Uh, Roger, you may remember, is a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker and editor. He was on a couple months ago. Um, He works with uh, Larry David and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and those guys. Anyway, after we finished recording the podcast, he sent me an email and said, Hey, I've got this friend Joe Yannetti. I think you'd really like him. He's a comedian and he was um, sort of the genius behind the the show, the the movie that um, Roger, uh, I guess, directed and produced and wrote the screenplay together with Joe. Um, about uh, used car salesmen. Uh, I forget what the name of the fucking movie was right now. Uh, one word name. I'll think of it in a few minutes. I don't have internet. This is weird recording these when I have no internet. I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I can't just like pause and go back and you know look at my notes and <laughs> sound like I don't forget shit all the time, which I do. Um, but anyway, Joe Yanetti, really interesting guy. Uh, and it's, you know, when I, I think of the conversation that I had with him that you're about to hear, um, 
the feeling that I get is kindness. That Joe is a really kind, thoughtful, decent guy, which is not, to be honest, is not uh, a set of adjectives that normally comes to mind when I'm thinking of comedians. Um, in my experience, comedians tend to be pretty neurotic, um, a lot of angst, a lot of um, conflict going on and uh, kind of discomfort. Um, and maybe Joe was like that years ago, but he uh, has had a serious health issue that he um, you know had to confront and experience and uh, he talks about that in our conversation I don't know if that brought him to a place of kindness and compassion or if he's always been that way um, but that's certainly where he's at now and uh, he's a he's an awesome guy I really enjoyed this conversation with him so I hope you do as well. I am recording this now at the park because I'm going to be in Bend tomorrow when I will upload this. Uh, that'll be Saturday, July 4th. It's the 4th of fucking July, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, happy Independence Day. Too bad we're not independent from Exxon and Coca-Cola, Chevron, and all these other fucking companies that rule the country it's not really a country the, the whole idea of the nation state is so outdated uh, more and more it just seems like the corporations own the world we just happen to be living on it for the moment um, but anyway happy independence day I hope you're blowing shit up to celebrate the origins of this great nation of ours um and I'm going to play you out with uh, something that's been a, become a bit of a tradition here at Tangentially Speaking. This song is called A Good American Life, and it's by friend of the podcast, Ed Dupas. That's D-U-P-A-S. Um, a Good American Life is the name of the album that this appears on. Uh, really thoughtful really thoughtful and uh, if you're new to the podcast you probably haven't heard this song before if you are not new to the podcast you have heard it because i've played it i think every fourth of july since i first heard it since ed sent it to me uh ed i hope you're still out there listening i i hope your career is going great uh i don't know i i wouldn't know if it was or if it weren't but i hope it is uh this is an amazing song and my other favorite song by ed is called flag I, I always sort of have a conundrum which one to play they both have they have very similar messages really looking a little more deeply at the american dream and what it really means to people in reality and um you know as george carlin said it you have to be dreaming to believe this bullshit yeah anyway uh i hope you're doing well i hope that uh your 4th of July weekend or week is treating you right and that there aren't as many flies landing on you as there are on me right now. I'm going to wrap this up and uh, let you listen to this song by Ed Dupas, A Good American Life, 
Make sure you listen to the lyrics, and then I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joe Yanetti. All right, everybody, thank you for your attention and your time and your good feelings. And uh, if you want to support the podcast, you know how to do it. I'm not going to nag you about it. I appreciate everything you do, any way you do it. And I will catch you again soon. Ciao. Wake up in the morning The alarm clock tells me when Pour a cup of coffee And hit the road again Find the nearest freeway Yeah, I got places to be That sounds like a good American Head to the office or the job side over the mill. Time to make some money, time to pay some bills. Cause they're charging me for things that I used to get for free. That sounds like a good American life to me. Tell myself I'm free Feels like I'm running in circles Guess I'll wait and see That sounds like a good American life to me Now we got ships in the Gulf Yeah, we got them in Japan Got boots on the ground Germany and Afghanistan And they got families and loved ones And kids they ain't never seen That sounds like a good American life to me That sounds like a good American life to me Just trying to catch my breath So I can tell myself I'm free Feels like I'm running in circles Guess I'll wait and see That sounds like a good American life to me Keep waiting on a whistle When everyone will stop But they keep right on Telling us there's room Up at the top So I'm getting up tomorrow Guess that's how it's gonna be That sounds like a good American life to me That sounds like a good American life to me.
Here we are. Uh, Joe Yanetti, thank you for taking the time to chat today, man. Hello. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so your your buddy, our buddy, uh, Roger Nygaard, uh, yes. after, after the last time I talked to him, he said, you should really talk to my friend Joe. He's really interesting. And uh, the, we were talking about suckers, and I guess... I don't know, did you write the screenplay or it was based on your experience or what, what was your connection? Yeah, we wrote it together. Uh, I originally wrote it as a one-man show that I was going to do myself. And, uh, of course, I sent it to Roger to just to read it and give me his thoughts. And his thoughts were, uh, I can turn this into a screenplay and we can make a great movie. So, wow. Like... It was a big better answer than you were hoping for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Could you take a look at this? Yeah. Yeah. And they tore it apart. I I could make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. A workaholic. So for him to take a whole script and take out all the parts that can't be in a screenplay and put all the parts in, and, you know, it would have taken me four years. It took him about four hours. Yeah. Yeah. He's funny. He's one of those guys who's. Like highly productive, but he seems relaxed. Yeah, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I don't either. It really aggravates me. <laughs> <laughs> if I could do half of what he does, I'd be rich. He must just be a lot smarter than us normal guys. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we were talking, and, he, and he's like, you know, yeah. Then I, you know, edited the, you know, Borat movie, and then I was editing uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then I'm making the, these movies, and then I. You know, oh, I'm writing a book, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck you, yeah. dude. Come on, you're yeah. writing a book, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to write a book Another when I book. retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so so what was the, when you were thinking about it as a one-man show, uh, it was based on your experience as yeah. a used car salesman? Is that yeah. it? Yeah, it was actually new cars. Mostly new cars because there was too much hassle when you sell a used car. There's Mm -hmm. more money, but there was too much hassle. So I used to, I like selling the new cars because if something went wrong with the car, it was under warranty. They they didn't get mad at me. We fixed it for free. But uh, my my first wife and I decided to have a baby and I didn't want to miss anything. I actually bought her a book while I was on the road. I'm a stand up comedian. And while I was on the road, I bought her a book about all the changes her body would go through. And before I got home, I read the book. And I was, man, I don't want to miss this. (laughs) This is going to be really cool. It's amazing what a woman's body will do to accommodate a baby while it's growing. And to me, it was just this great experiment. Not an experiment. I mean, obviously, everybody's done it. But it was was just, I didn't want to miss any of it. So uh, I was actually buying a car. And the salesman was just an idiot. And I was like, man, if they hired this guy, I could probably get a job here. And I went and applied. And it, 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 I would call Roger and tell him all the ridiculous things that were happening. 
And of course, he was like, write it down. You got to write everything down. And, you know, I would tell him stories. And of course, and you got to be careful when you talk to Roger, because he writes down everything you say, too. So, <laughs> so you know, he's like, he's ridiculous. He documents everything. So, uh, so I, and it was really traumatic for me because I went from, I, I went in and got the job and I said, look, I got to go and do a gig in New Jersey for a couple of weeks. And he said, okay, when you get back, you can start. So I was working in a major casino in the, in a big show. There was me and magicians and dancers and singers. And I went from that showroom to a Jeep showroom in Southern California. And the, the, uh, the magician I worked with, he didn't speak at all. And he played this classical piece of music in his act. And when I went to work at the car dealership, the Muzak, that song came on. <laughs> and, and I just started crying because I was like, how did this happen? You know, I was doing television. I was, I was working in major places. I was working all over the country. And, you know, and, yeah. but, and it was more my decision to, to, to stop and stay home. But it was still pretty traumatic. Cause I was so like, was, and that was what the one man show was like. How did this happen? Ah, uh, okay. So, like, did you see this as like a shift from your stand up comedy career into something else, or was this just something you were going to do while your wife was pregnant? Yeah, yeah. It was just going to be temporary. Well, it was temporary. I, I, the the one thing that. Uh, all car salesmen have in common is they're all trying to get out of the business. <laughs> there's uh, like, I don't think there's anyone selling cars who wishes they were doing something else. It's very lucrative, but it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a hard world to live in because I don't want to sound insensitive, but if someone came in and I was totally honest with them, they, they just wouldn't buy the car because they wouldn't believe you. I, I have done this. I have I have had people, and I say, look, I like you. I'm going to do this for you. This is what would happen. This is what's going to happen. And when my boss comes in, you say this. And, they, and they'll go, this, this is a scam, and they leave. Really? So, so you actually have to start out really high and let them think they're accomplishing something by getting to a fair price. And they think they beat you up, and, and, and they took advantage of you, and they didn't. You know, that's so, so many people when they buy cars, I got this guy. He was so upset. And I'm like, okay, did they let you leave with the car? Yeah. Well, they made money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately it's their decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's a world I know very little about because even though I'm an American man, I'm not a car guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm not either really. Yeah. It's funny. I have a friend who's an auto mechanic, and he's not a car guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just what I do. I don't give a yeah. shit. I don't like cars, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I bought a car. The first car I ever bought uh, was uh, about 10 years ago. So I was 49. Um, and I'll tell you how. You'll laugh at this probably. I, I thought I was going to, like, you know, play the angles like everyone else, I guess. And I knew what car I wanted, uh, and I knew roughly how much they cost. I'd done some research. Um, and I went to the dealership. This was in Southern California. 
that had this car, you know, is a certified used, so it had the warranties and all that shit. Yeah. And I went with $20,000 cash in my pocket, thinking that that was going to be my leverage, yeah. not knowing they don't want your fucking cash. They want you to finance, no. right? Yeah. But yeah. I didn't know that. So I pull out this like envelope of $20 cash and the guy looks at me like, what are you, a drug dealer? Like, I, you know, I got to file <laughs> government reports and stuff now. Like, this is all. Yeah. 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 I, and they, they got me. I mean, I got them, I think, in, initially because I said the price and the guy's like, I can't do that. My boss will fire me and all that bullshit. And yeah. then I said, OK, well, then fine. And I left. And I was, you know, like three miles away when he called me and he's like, hey, if you come back, I think I can do it. You know, so yeah. it went that far. Yeah. But then, but then I'm in the process where I'm in the office with this really pretty woman and she's like doing the writing the up finance stuff. And director. She's like, so do you want... Right. Yeah. So she's like, so do you want the, you know, the, the, the total warranty? And I was like, well, I've got the, it's certified. Right. And she's like, oh yeah. But then there's this warranty. And I said, well, uh, what's it cover? And as I say that this guy is walking by and she says, Hey, uh, Bobby, Bobby, come back here. Uh, oh, Bobby, here's the head of, uh, you know, maintenance and all that. Like, what does this thing cover? As if he just happened to be walking by. At yeah. That, right. Yeah. Later, I was like, wait, that was all a setup. You know, <laughs> a hot woman, the dude walking by at exactly the right moment. So they the F and I, the, the finance and insurance people, they have such an advantage because after you decide you want the car, you think the negotiating is over. And right. and all your defenses come down and 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 the women that I worked with that were in finance, man, they were always gorgeous and they right. had such an advantage and they just got all the advertisement all over the walls and you're like, hey, what is that? You know, what is this? How much is that? Look that over while I'm doing this. Right. And then it's like, oh, it's just 25 bucks a month. <laughs> and then you, you go home and you're like, wait a minute, I just paid three grand more. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. And, and they don't seem like they're selling you anything. But where you really get it is in the service department. That's mm. uh, Roger and I have to uh, toyed around with doing a sequel about the service department. Because they're, they're, they're upselling you everything. Everything. Right. And they're worse so, than the car salesman. Right. And, and they're... I mean, their prices are inflated as well, right? Oh I mean, yeah, everything costs more from a dealership. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How long? How long did you do that? I sold cars off and on. You know, once when uh, when my wife was pregnant, and then I went back again. I, I stopped. I was on the road for a while, and and then we made the movie, and then we had a deal with HBO to make a series based on the film, and. By then, I was divorced, and I went back to L.A. and went and sold cars again. <laughs> and kind of so I could stay there to work the deal, but a lot just to get more stories and more stuff to write about. And I sold cars in many different places. Like, at one point, I was selling cars at Gardena Nissan, which is right on the line of South Central L.A. And while I was working there one day, I was the only white guy in the dealership as oj simpson went the highway was i mean like he literally drove right over the dealership 
and the helicopters and the car. And I'm like, oh, please let him get away while I'm here. Because <laughs> I was like right there, man. Like right where all that stuff happened after, like, the, I mean, the Rodney King stuff and, and then right. OJ. And I mean, I was right where all that stuff had happened when mm. he went over. I mean, like, yeah. I'm not exaggerating, like right over my head. So I had, and then I worked, the, the complete opposite of that was selling Toyotas in Santa Monica, where, you know, a guy would come in and he's like, I want to buy this for my daughter. And I'm like, oh, bring her down and have her drive it. And he's like, well, she doesn't have her license yet. And I'm like, that's a $55,000 truck. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to get it for her. I might go get the Lexus because I don't, it has the electric mirrors and I don't want it to ruin my garage. I'm like, man, you know, That's one time a buddy of mine told me this. I wasn't at working there at the time, but uh, Jeff Bridges came in to look at a car that he was selling. I think he was selling Corvettes or something. And Jeff Bridges made him drive the car all the way to his house and put it in his driveway so he could go up into his bedroom and look down on the driveway to see how the car looked in his driveway. And then he didn't buy it. <laughs> Wow, that's that's amazing. So, th so there was oh, all kinds of you know, yeah, different situations. So I, I mean, I I don't I don't want to like bang this drum. I know you know your career is far more interesting. You know all the different things you've been doing, the stand up and the acting and all this other stuff. But uh, just while I have an expert here, I got to pick your brain a little bit more. Sure. What's the right way to buy a car? The absolute right way to buy a car is to do all your research. Like, do all the research. You know, go to a credit union if you have one already. If you don't, join a credit union. And you and you can just go there and say, if I bought this car, you know, with my credit, have them check your credit and, and then whatever you're going to put down and they'll see what you qualify for and they'll give you a great interest rate and then you know. Like you could say, they'll, they'll say, okay, you qualify for a car up to $25,000. We'll finance you for this long. Your payments will be, you know, $350 a month. And so when you go to the car dealership, when they show you that same car for that price and they go, and your payments are only four seventy five, then you know that they're lying, you know, that, and, and, well, they'll come back and say, well, that's only if you finance it for two years, like, which no one's going to do. Right. So, you know, they'll figure out a way to make it look like they're not doing that to you, but they are. And you do all the research about which car you want and, and also understand that you're the one with the control. I, I have friends that are literally terrified to go into a car dealership to buy a car. And I'm like, they can't force you to write a check. You know, you're yeah. the one with all the control. If you don't want to buy a car, you just want you say, I'm comparing these three cars and go drive them. And uh, sometimes even like uh, go rent the type of car you think you want to drive or you want to buy and drive the car for a week and see how mm. it feels and get used to it a little more than that. But then you call the car dealership and you make an appointment, you know, get the sales manager on the phone and say, I want this car. I've done all the research. I want to talk to a guy that's not going to, you know, give me a hassle. Or, And you walk in, you say to the guy, I think I want this car. I want this color. 
and I know what it costs. I already have my financing. And if I was the salesman, I look at that and go, okay, I can grind this guy for three hours or I can make the same amount of money in 20 minutes. So, you know, a smart salesman would understand that this person coming in knows more about the car than I do. They know what they want. They know what they can get for financing and they know what their credit is, you know, because sometimes you can convince someone they have bad credit when they don't. And that puts them on the defensive and convinces them that they have to go with the higher rate. Mm. And then the, the dealership makes money off the rate. Mm. So the, the main thing is research. Do all the research and, and find. And sometimes you can go to a credit union and the dealership will beat their, their interest rate. Sometimes they have all kinds of special deals. You know, if you're buying a car that's uh, a leftover from the year before. So as long as you know where you should be, mm. they, they can't really fool you on too many right. things. Is it true that it's best to, to buy a car at the end of the year because they're trying to move out the, the, that year's uh, model? Well, some people just want the newest, latest version. Uh. So you buy that at, as soon as they come out. But the new cars, they don't come out right at the end of the year. So if they still have the car that you want and you're willing to have, uh, you know, the year before. Because when you go to sell that car, that, that the resale value, obviously, if it's a two-year-old car or a three-year-old car. But if it doesn't matter to you, yeah, going at either at the end of the year or when the new models come out. But if you can actually wait until like 2021 to buy a 2020, they, they, they really, you know, you take a chance that they might not have any left, but you do get an amazing deal. You know, they'll give you great interest rates. They'll give you rebates. You know, they want to get rid of those. All right. Right. So how, how did you uh, meet Roger? Also, sorry, at the end of the sorry. month, yeah. because a car dealership's inventory depends on how many cars they've sold. So when you go to the end of the month, number one, they might have incentives for the, the salesman and those incentives give him an incentive to sell the car. If he sells a certain amount of cars in a month or there's a particular car that has a bonus on it. So right at the end, like the last day of the month and go in right before they close. Because then they, they, they're <laughs> like, I wants to go home. <laughs> well, he wants to go home. Everybody wants to go home. They'll all be yelling at each other. You have the advantage to get them to fight with each other. They'll be nicer to you. And then, you know, the guy might need one more car to make his bonus or something, you know? All right. All right. All right. That's good advice. Yeah. Uh, so did you meet uh, Roger through showbiz? Or yeah. Did you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Roger worked for a guy named Buddy Mora. And... uh I met these guys. They came to. I'm from Boston. They came to Boston scouting locations and then comedians for HBO special. And they didn't. They didn't like me for that particular thing. Uh, Stephen Wright was hosting it, and he wanted one of his best friends to be the the new guy. So my friend Barry Crimmins got that deservedly so also, but uh, they liked what I did and we hung out one night and and then when I went to LA they started helping me out and I met Roger through them and uh one time uh, I was just at a comedy club and 
doing a show and he was with buddy and we started hanging out and mm. uh actually buddy's wife had this class it was it was called like acting writing uh pat on the back uh direct it, it, it no matter what you did like if if you wrote a script and you wanted actors to act it out they you would give them your script and they would act out the script and then you would sit down and the class would critique your writing if you were a director you would direct a scene if you were an actor you would ask to act in something and you weren't allowed to say anything until everybody was done critiquing what what they thought of your work it was a really cool class it was really fun and uh they asked me this guy wrote a script about a comedian who was a really bad comedian who was on stage and there was someone in the audience that as soon as he got off stage, he was going to kill him. So he had to just keep going. And it was really bad jokes. And, <laughs> and the guy tells this horrible story about the, the on stage. He tells this story about this girl that he had had sex with and she was bleeding all over his car. And it was this disgusting scene. And I found out later the guy who wrote the script was a priest. <laughs> so... And then the hardest thing was, I, you can't, I, you do stand up. Did I see that you're no. a comedian also? No, right, it's no, really. I, I, it's yeah, I hang out. I have a lot of friends who are comedians, oh, okay. so I, I kind of know the world a little right. bit. It's really hard to forget your timing. So this guy had purposely written in jokes that he thought were really bad. But when you do a bad joke with really good timing, it makes the joke a lot better. But there were, so I would do this joke, I would do it well, and it would get a laugh, but it's not supposed to. Like, there's actually lines in the script saying, I know you're not laughing at this, which made the la audience laugh even harder. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was, it, it went well, but it was a really uh, interesting situation trying to do a joke badly. It's really hard to do it badly when you've worked so hard to do jokes the right way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting position to be in as an actor, trying to be bad at something you've worked hard to be good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's the that's the ultimate acting gig, right? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's like I always a really a really good dancer trying to dance badly. Like that must be yeah, hard. Yeah, I can't remember what I, I was watching something the other day, and it I can't remember what it was, but it was an amazing actress, and she was supposed to be doing a scene badly. You know, she was she was an actress playing someone who wanted to be an actress. And I yeah. was like, that must be so hard for her to do. And she did it perfectly. Like, it looked horrible. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like an Australian playing a bad American actor trying and failing to do an Australian <laughs> accent. Like, wow, how do you do that? You know, it's funny that you say that because in the movie Suckers, the guy who plays me, he plays Bobby in the movie he came in and and he was an Italian from Boston, man. He he had an accent. He was an American, and and then he showed up on the set and he was from Australia. He had such <laughs> really? a thick Australian accent. Yeah, he it's Louis Mandalore. He's actually Costas Mandalore's brother. 
Uh-huh. Costas was, he had a big show called, he was on uh, Picket Fences. You remember that show? Yeah, I never watched it, but yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah, he was pretty famous yeah. for a while. You ever watched The Wire? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. That so was Baltimore. Know, so, yeah. Baltimore so is Mc- such a cool accent. Uh, McNulty, right, the, the, the star, yeah. is British. Yeah, the yeah. Actor. Right? Yeah, I, I was so and, shocked to hear that. Is that great? Because his American accent's so good. Yeah. But there's a scene, and, and it, I just watched it the other day on YouTube. There's a scene where McNulty, the character, is sitting around with the other detectives, and they're joking, and he's he's going to go undercover in like a you know a vice operation or something, and he's going to pretend to be a British businessman. <laughs> so he does a bad British accent, and, you know, with these Americans. So, so he is literally in that position where he's yeah. doing a bad British accent as a British actor playing an American guy. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, the, it drives me nuts when uh, you're watching people do a Boston accent and the, and they'll say something like, I, 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 my car is in a parking spot. And yeah. it's like, no, you can't. There's no yeah, R's. Packing. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> They'll do it with one word and then not with another. That drives yeah. me nuts. Well, you mentioned the Baltimore accent. I read uh, recently that Baltimore, that Baltimore-Philadelphia kind of yeah. accent is the hardest one for actors to do. That's the one they, like, yeah. they're scared of trying to pull off. Yeah. They, they say things like yuns yeah. instead of you. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in in Pennsylvania. We said yins yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, my my brother one yeah, time I, I can't do the accent. My brother was uh he was ordering some parts for his car. And and he goes and he's talking to the parts store and he goes, "Do you guys carry uh, you know, a head gasket for a 440 whatever?" And he hangs up the phone. And I, I go, Ed, "That sounds terrible." He goes, what? I go, you just said the used guys sell a head gasket for. He goes, I did not. I said the used guys carry. <laughs> right over his head. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, what came first for you? Were you doing stand? Was that your original thing, stand up in Boston? And then oh, yeah. you sort of moved yeah. into acting and writing or. How, that yeah, I, I started in Boston in 1983. I was 20 years old and, you know, some people had convinced me that college wouldn't be a smart thing to do. I still can't believe I fell for that. And, uh, and then I walked into a comedy club and my first thought was, wow, I could do this for free. Like I could learn how to do this without having to pay for it. Mm. And... And my second thought was, man, they love that guy up there. I want to be that guy. So I went back the next week, and and I did I did stand up in Boston for four years. It was Boston was the best place in the world to become a comedian. You know the support here and the the scene here. There was so much work, and uh, it was amazing. And then I went to New York for a little while. New York. I've been back in New England for too long. I went there for a little while, and then I went out to L.A. with the guy that Roger worked for just to to visit and see what it was like out there. And I decided, man, it, 
no matter how big I get in New York, I would have to start over in L.A. again. So I just moved to L.A. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and and then you know I was I I started working on the road, traveling around the country, which. You know, I, I grew up in the inner city of Boston. I had never done anything until I became a comedian. So it was a gigantic thrill for me to start traveling around. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. And okay. I was making, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was making more than anyone I knew that was doing something yeah. they loved so much, you know. You know, except for the other comedians, you know, the people I grew up with were, you know, I grew up with all carpenters and plumbers and electricians and hoodlums and thieves and gangsters, you know, so, and, and I, I, I should have stayed in LA and, you know, learned that scene, but I loved doing stand up so much and I wanted to be really good at it and I knew that I had to do it to get better. So I just kept traveling around. And when I came back to Los Angeles and would do auditions, I, you know, I, I, would, I would do really well. But for some reason, they were just like, you're a great comedian. I wish there was something I could do to help you. And then they would choose someone that didn't make the audience laugh. And I didn't understand why they were picking that person, you know. And it took me a while to understand, like, all right, they see something that they can make money with and they don't see that with my style of comedy or whatever. And uh, and then, you know, my, my wife wanted to move back and then she wanted to live without me, so we got divorced. And then I went back to L.A. I, you know, I got divorced from my first wife. I met my second wife and she came out to L.A. with me and tried to kill me. <laughs> But that's, we made, the, she's actually in Suckers. She's in the movie, just, you know, like an extra kind of thing. But, uh, and then I came back home again. And mm. then I, I started, I got divorced from her. Then I started traveling around the world on cruise ships. And mm. I, I just. Doing stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to, I remember one time I left my house. I had to go to Japan. And I stopped in Germany, I went to Japan, I got on a ship, sailed to Russia, and then to Seattle, and, uh, no, Vancouver, and then flew home. And I didn't realize it until I landed in Boston that I had just gone all the way around the world. And mm. I was like, man, that's really cool, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I've yeah. lived on ships in Hawaii, which is, like, my favorite place. So I, I've had a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, a lot of trouble, a lot of, a lot of heartache. And, you know, we made suckers and then we had a deal with HBO, but, uh, the producers kind of blew it, you know, and, and that, that was really hard. Hmm. Actually, the hardest thing ever was I was booked on the tonight show with Johnny Carson, his last month that he was on. And I got bumped off the show by Bill Cosby. That sucked. Fuck. I'm still not over that. Yeah. Like that, because that, yeah. the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was like putting a stamp on your forehead. Like, now you're a comedian. Yeah. So, but yeah. along the way, yeah, and that's... now I have a third wife, and she's just the greatest lady in the world. She got me yeah. through a lot, a real yeah. lot, real serious stuff. Like, I had stage four throat cancer, and uh, 
we we weren't even dating that long and she stuck with me through that whole thing and uh, it's disgusting and mm. when i tell you it's disgusting it's really disgusting the things that your body does when you go in having radiation and chemotherapy and she's an amazing woman so congratulations man thanks man that's yeah that's the top of the mountain right there you know yeah. have, have someone who'll stick with you no matter what that's uh i know getting you know being on johnny carson is a big deal but but this is a bigger deal <laughs> oh yeah i'm alive yeah i'm alive man yeah. that that well, was you're uh, alive and you're loved you know i mean oh, that's and roger roger's the expert on marriage now <laughs> <laughs> yeah he sure asked me, he goes, how many times are you going to get married? I said, just one more after this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to put you in, a, in an uncomfortable place, but you said no, your, never. Second wife, your second wife tried to kill you. Did you mean that literally or just drive you crazy, kill you? It's uh, I, not like she tried to shoot me or stab me. But I, okay. I, I, she would have killed me if she could have, you know, if I didn't get away when I did. Uh, she, she was never like formally diagnosed with it, but uh, I'm pretty sure she had borderline personality disorder, hmm. and that's yeah. that's just the worst torture in the world. You know, they they figure out exactly what you want them to be and become everything you ever wanted, and then you fall in love and they turn into everything you ever were afraid of or you know she just yeah. she drove me insane i taught her how to do stand-up and uh they did I, I don't know if you use vulgarity on your show here fuck yeah <laughs> so my friend uh, uh bobby kelly he's he's a pretty popular comedian right now uh he was our best man and i said i'm, I'm gonna teach her how to do stand-up and he instantly said, you fucking deserve everything you get. <laughs> so he could and, see it And coming. he was right. He was right. Uh, she yeah. would, we were doing it together. And I, I'm still convinced we would have been very famous and very rich if, if she wasn't just so crazy. You know, she was... Mm. She was absolutely gorgeous and hilarious, and but uh, she just she just couldn't be happy, you know. It was it's really sad, you know. I feel bad for her. She just refuses to accept any kind of joy in her life, and right. we would have had everything. But I'll write a screenplay about that someday. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I was while you were talking, I was thinking. Uh, yeah, there's there's a, the elements of you know beauty and hope and triumph and despair and I mean you, you got all the elements of a good story there. Yeah, well, we were at an open mic night one night in Boston, just hanging out with some friends, and I she didn't even know. I just told my buddy to introduce her, and I just <laughs> wanted to see. You know, she'd never been on stage like that before. Wow. And. And it was terrible just because it's someone's first time and they weren't expecting it and she's holding her hands up, blocking the lights. But the audience was so enthralled. I, I'm looking at the crowd and I'm like, they can't take their eyes off her. 
And mm. and it wasn't because she was an attractive woman. It was that they wanted to know what she had to say. And we used to do, like, I would have her open for me, and she would go on stage and talk about this, you know, Italian guy that she was married to who was, you know, an asshole. And, and then I'd go up on stage after her and talk about this woman I was married to who's insane and drives me nuts. And I would... I would get the audience to heckle me and say something rude about her. And I would say, well, do you want to meet her? She's here tonight. And I would say, honey, come up here. And as she's walking to the stage, the whole crowd is thinking, oh, my God, everything she said was about him. <laughs> and everything he said was about her. And yeah. you see the gears turning. And then she'd come up on stage and the audience would like actually divide itself mm. and some people would be on her side and some people would be on my side and man we we it was it was something really special but she just you know i got her on ships with me and she got me fired off a ship and uh man that that really messed with me but that was it we had broken up before we were getting divorced in massachusetts there's a waiting period we called off the divorce with like a few days left in the waiting period. Then we got back together, renewed our vows, then broke up again for, you know, a year, get back together. It was, it was, I, I owed money to the IRS and uh, the IRS agent said to me, why, why haven't you paid your taxes? And I said, because I've been living in hell for 10 years with an insane woman. And the guy goes, all right, I'm going to give you your money back. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, okay, just, you know, do this, 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 and this, and you'll be all set. And, I, uh, I, and I'm like, just say thank you and leave. There's this guy screaming in my head, say thank you and leave. And I go, thank yeah. you very much, and I leave. And as I'm walking to my car, I'm, I'm like happy, like I'm out of trouble now. And then I think, how much have I fucked up my life? That the IRS is leaving me alone. <laughs> <laughs> they feel bad for you. Yeah. Tax collector. Yeah. 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 They're like, yeah, it's, um, it's, I understand, Bran. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's such an honest answer, too. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, and, and the dude probably had something in his background where he's like, okay, I know exactly what you're saying here. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting that you, yeah. that you, you guys used your like the conflicts in your relationship you you wrote that into your stand-up act i mean you're it was almost yeah. like a performance art piece of a couple in conflict right yeah. i mean you took that conflict and extended it out into the room and got the audience involved in it oh yeah uh that was a pretty ballsy thing to do i i wonder you know, did that delay the disintegration of your relationship or accelerate? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I knew. I knew. Like, I had lived in New York and L.A. I knew. Basically, when I, was, when I was just doing it by myself, it took me a long time to learn what the game was in Los Angeles. Right. And then when I learned what the game was, I decided I didn't want to play that game. You know, I wanted, I thought if I go up on stage and make the audience laugh, I'll gain opportunities. And that's not really how it works. You know, it's not, uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Meritocracy. 
you know mm -hmm. it's it's like who's friends with who and who you hung out with and how you got to know you know like and people like who went to college together and one guy's an actor and one guy's a director and the director puts the right. actor in the in a movie and you know so i didn't have any of that and i was always alone you know working right. alone and but then when i met her and saw the dynamic that we had together i knew that i didn't i didn't have to go to la and spend years there and i didn't have to develop two hours of material and i knew i needed maybe 12 minutes and i got her to come on ships with me and man it because of the ships i was working it was exactly the demographic i needed and it was the only place where i would have 500 people in an audience mm. in a packed room watching me develop an act with this woman and it was to me it was like this gift from god like here is the perfect situation to develop this and and she just she just wouldn't let it be you know she just had to figure out a way to to fight over how horrible like she'd argue with me why do we have to live in new hampshire and i'm like look out the window that's maui we're in maui it's like when we go home to new hampshire we stay for two weeks and come back here so yeah it was and and i could i had a great agent at the time that was so in with this cruise line I could say I want to stay on the ship for three months. I want to I want to go home for two weeks and come back. Okay, and we'd go scuba diving. I, you know, we I I had her get certified. I was already diving all the time. It, we're in Hawaii. I got yeah. bicycles on the ship. We got you know, uh, and if you know the cruise industry, there's nothing better. You're in the United States. Your phone works all the time. You're not in foreign countries. You don't have to go through customs and immigration all the time. And man, it was, I would have put my lifestyle up against anybody, no matter how rich yeah. and famous you were. I had, I was living in Hawaii. I was doing everything I love to do. I was madly in love with this woman and we were developing something really special and uh, it just went away. Yeah. Did you ever consider trying to revive the act with another woman? No. <laughs> no. 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 Oh, it got you making me dizzy just thinking about it. <laughs> I could do stuff. I could do stuff with my wife. Like we'll do stuff on YouTube and and you know just make silly videos and post them on social media. But yeah. but it's so difficult because show business the pressure and everything and now i i've learned actually from working cruise ships because on a cruise ship you do a show and you're famous it's it's a little tiny world but you're yeah. famous in that world and i i can't even imagine what it would be like if my life was like that everywhere i went right. that would suck you yeah. know and, and people who sees you wants to talk to you and they think they time. own you yeah yeah they yeah. think you know and you know i would never be able to have a conversation in a restaurant with my wife you know i have friends that are really famous and they tell me things that are it's like no i don't want to live like that i'm sure there's a lot of advantages to it actually the only thing that i wish i had which is just sounds really weird, I know. 
like like healthcare, you know, like if I had a relative or myself or, you know, God forbid, if my wife got sick and needed something that I couldn't afford, that that's, that's when I feel like, man, I probably should have stuck with trying to be rich. But I, 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 there's a, I don't remember if it's Chinese, but there's this saying that if you want to know what's important to you, look at what you have. And I know that the most important thing to me is free time. Like, I love being able right. to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to yeah. do it. And and, and I, I agree, really bro. don't care about being rich or famous. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I you, mean, and I probably a... wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> well, but, but you've been around it enough to know that it's not free, you know? Right. You don't just add money. That's to a great way to put it. <laughs> You you add the money, but you got to take away something else, whether it's free time or self-respect or your health yeah. or your your relationship. You know that it's it's always a give and a take. So yeah, yeah, I have I have friends who are wealthy, and I've I've been around enough wealth uh, to to see like um, I, I've never envied any anyone their wealth, their beauty, their fame, whatever, because everything comes oh, yeah. at a price. You know. Yeah, I I have relatives that are ultra ultra wealthy, and then they, they you know they can't sleep at night. It's like, yeah. what do you worry about? <laughs> you know, it's like, what do, what are you worried about that you couldn't handle? Just you know, I, I I can't imagine, and and I I know they have certain problems and stuff, but I also look at them and go, man, me and my wife enjoy ourselves so much more. You know, yeah, making do, yeah. you know, the, the, you, you might have a boat that's worth two million dollars and, you know, my boat's worth two thousand. But I use mine every day, <laughs> you know, and I have a blast yeah. and I go out. Yeah. I, I live on a lake in New Hampshire, you know, go out and watch the sunset and jump in the water with my wife and and get drunk, you know, and Dude. we we just have a blast. We really yeah. do. I, I, I finally found the greatest woman in the world, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I'm really happy for you. That's great. Yeah. And she's yeah. got an Italian last name and she was born in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Catholic. Yes. Very. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, listen, dude, I, I'm, I really enjoyed just hanging out with you here for a few minutes. I know we barely scratched the surface, but yeah. you're, yeah. Uh, you're, you're a really nice guy. I'd, I'd like to... Thanks, man. If I'm ever on the East Coast, I hope we could like hang out. And well, now my thing right now, I'm I'm trying to build a comedy club here in New in, Hampshire, Southern in New, New Hampshire. Hampshire. Yeah, ah. right on the line of Massachusetts. So I got the greatest location. I got the I got the biggest name. It's going to be an improv, and uh, I got all the pieces except the money. Now I got to go find the money. So wow. I got to find some investors, and so if there's anybody out there. <laughs> wants to invest in a comedy club yes yeah yeah well it sounds like you've definitely got the contact and you know that world really well yeah yeah and i just want just basically gotta... i really just want to stay home now yeah yeah right i, I want to so i want we... something i want a little piece of the world for myself right yeah you know i used to travel a lot when i was younger backpacked all around the world oh. sometimes yeah, that was my thing. I mean, you did it on the cruise ships. I was just with a backpack, you know, in India and Nepal and all over the place. And 
um, sometimes I'd, I'd meet people older than me, you know, in their 40s or 50s or whatever, and they had like a guest house or a little cafe or something. And, you know, invariably they were people who traveled when they were young and then they got to a point where they're like, ah, I don't want to travel anymore, but I still want to hang out with travelers. Yeah. You know? So pick a spot, make a beautiful place, and then those people will come to me. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I love being in places. I just hate getting there. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's so ridiculous now, you know. Yeah. But yeah. but so many people, like, what about you you're saving for your retirement? And it's like, you're saving your retirement so you can do what I do every day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. what am I going to save my money so I can travel? They pay me to travel. <laughs> right and i spend all my money in all these places you know and and it's you know i i started hiking and just the, the things that you see are just it's just amazing and the people that you meet and you're like we're all the same man everybody yeah. everybody's the same no matter what color you are or what kind of accent you have and you know everybody loves their children and it's it's it, it's really it's such a wonderful experience. Like my daughter it drives me nuts. My daughter, every time she has a vacation, she goes to Disney World. It's like go somewhere real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did there is there any particular insight that you gained from the experience with cancer? Oh with, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 man. I just In stage four. That's like it's you, amazing you're alive right? you know what I, this is years after i'm cancer free and the type of cancer i had i'm not in remission i'm cured it's gone it won't come back hmm. and uh i said to i want to write a book about it and i said to my my nurse the nurse that helped me through it the most i said uh how bad was i and she goes aside from death worst case scenario i go really but it was only stage four and she goes, what do you mean? I go, well, stage five is the worst, right? And she goes, there's no stage five. I go, what? And like all this time I was thinking, hey, it's not the worst it could be. I'll be fine. <laughs> she tells me there's no stage five. But what I, I, I mean this totally honestly. I mean, obviously, physically, it was the worst year of my life, but. In every other way, it was the best year of my life. The outpouring of love and support and, you know, from my family, my brother, who just recently passed away, he died of cancer in January. He actually died on January 6th, so I'll never forget the date that he died. But uh, he came and lived with me, and, I mean, my oncologist got right in my face, and he was like, your brother saved your life. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your brother. And between my brother and the woman I'm married to now, my mother, my sister, and all my friends, the comedy community instantly came together to do fundraisers for me. And nurses who were total strangers, like someone you've never met before, helping you like to vomit. And, you're, and while you're vomiting, you're thinking, why is this stranger being so kind to me and doing these things. So you learn so much about human nature and and how much love there is in the world and support. 
And and you also learn so much about the like I didn't know this until years later. One of the nurses, her sister was being treated at the same time I was, and no one knew that it was her sister, and her sister didn't make it. So that nurse, like they can only last a certain amount of time in that field because the the heartache is just it overwhelms them. So I I I I've never felt more love in my life. Just the love, the support, just people praying for me, people posting things on social media. And uh, and so I try to pay that forward. You know, I have a lot of friends that I have a lot of friends that actually had the same kind of cancer, throat cancer caused by HPV. And uh, I, I just found a lot of love to just sum it up in one word. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. Um, Thanks. Where. Where can people find out more about you and, and watch uh, you? My website is just yanetti.com, Y-A-N-N-E-T-T-Y. Make sure you don't put any eyes in there. They're supposed to be eyes. When my grandfather came from Italy, they messed up my name. But everyone, even when I spell it out, and I'll say Y-A-N-N-E-T-T-Y, and they'll write an I at the end. So it's just yanetti.com is my website. And then I'm on social media everywhere. It's just Joe Yanetti at everything. You know, right. Joe Yanetti on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Right. So. Good. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. <clears throat> Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology. Tangentially speaking, paleo modern and talking out of my ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's to right. death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation say 
it's a big deal if you wanna be free. Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.